hey girls and guys, welcome to this week's episode of SIU Live. I'm your host, Emil Fristel. This week we are talking with Dr. Lakmal, the director of Oxford Nanopore Technologies, a new generation sequencing company that's currently worth more than 1.5 billion pounds. But Lakmal has been with the company for more than 10 years, all the way back to when there was only a handful of employees, and he's seen how the company has developed through these years. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure you'll do the same. Here's Lakmal. Alright, Lakmal, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Could, could, I, could I call you an Oxford local? I mean, you, you almost are, right? Yeah, I've been here now for since 2003, so it's 15 years. Right, and you, you finished your PhD in 2005? 2005. Yeah. Alright. And then you went straight into working with Oxford Nanopore Technologies, is that right? Yes, when I finished my PhD, actually it was that year Hagen Bailey founded the company. So my original idea was actually to go back to States and do, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to do postdoc or go right into industry. Um, and then when Hagen founded this company and then the C CEO, Gordon Sangira, and then um, business mm. uh, VP uh, Spike Wilcox. So they both came and talked to me and they wanted me to uh, stay behind and join the company and uh, right. by then we didn't have any lab or anything. Um, so it was just the concept and uh, we wanted to do this. And, and why did you decide to take the opportunity? And, and how was it in, to the extent that the work differed? Like, uh, how, how was it different from the academia that, that you came from? Well, uh, the reason why I stayed was uh, I was it was really interesting uh, idea, and I was familiar with the uh, what they were trying to do, like in terms of like uh, single molecule sensing was what uh, we did in Hagen Bailey's lab. And my background is though like protein engineering and more biochemistry, molecular biology than biophysics. Okay. Um, so I thought it was a really good opportunity to um, start something new and I thought like, um, why not? Do you remember some of the thoughts you had in the period leading up to doing that transition? Some of the considerations you were having about moving from the academic setting to yeah, a more it was just, like setting? Well, it was just like finishing uh, your PhD, right? So you either wanted to do a postdoc or you wanted to join industry. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean, being in an academic lab and seeing uh, postdocs and you know sometimes some of the projects work, some of the projects don't. And uh, when this thing came up and I thought like, well, it's great if it works and if not, like, well, it wouldn't, right? So like, uh, it's another, same thing as, uh, it's, it's worth, giving, worth giving a try. And if it works, I knew that it, uh, it could change, change the world. Right, and now here you are more than 10 years later. Yeah. So, so Oxford Nanopore builds on, on this almost explosion that's been in genome sequencing where first you had the sequencing of the human genome back in, I think 2001, right? And then you had the next generation sequencing you began to have with Illumina, a big explosion, the cost of sequencing coming down. Uh, could you elaborate a bit on what, what exactly is it that Nanopore, Oxford Nanopore does differently? What, what's the key technology, the uh, differentiator? You can go into a bit of detail if you want. Well, I think our technology is very different to compare to most of the other existing technologies, even now or by then. 
um, main I think attractive feature of our technology is the portability uh, so most of the other sequencing technologies mm-hmm. still you have to do it in the lab whether it is a big lab or a small lab you are restricted to do it in the lab and for the first time our sequencing machines are the um, so you can take it anywhere you can do it in the field you can do it in the lab or you can do it in the home so uh, that's the biggest uh, advantage of right and it's also opened up for some applications you haven't yeah. traditionally been yeah. used in so, so when we actually first started uh, the map program which is the midnight access program mm-hmm. uh, so we knew there are a lot of smart people out there so we wanted to work with them um, and as i said like uh, when we, when we released midnight it wasn't the uh, the perfect instrument so we wanted to work with other people to improve it and we were actually surprised the applications that people using it for and we never thought some of the applications that um, uh, they they are going to uh, use it for like it's completely new and people developing applications because they there were a lot of applications people wanted to do and they didn't have the instrument uh, to do it so when right. they saw the midnight uh, for the first could time you, could you give some examples maybe well, I think one of the good example is now, for example, uh, when you have this uh, uh, in-field sequencing in recently in this Kasawa thing, um, and in West Africa, so uh, as I said, like 800 million people uh, relying on Kasawa for their food uh, source mm-hmm. as well as the uh, economic, um, uh, their main income. So when uh, these uh, viruses infected the plantation, so uh, for the first time uh, they could sequence in the field and figure out uh, what was the problem. Uh, and then if you know the problem, then you can uh, correct it very quickly. And uh, one other application is when this Ebola and Zika thing happened, like especially with Zika. I think when Ebola happened, actually when by the time team uh, got there, the, the peak of the um, uh, infection is gone. Uh, but when Zika virus happened, so they got into this little van and then they were driving from town to town and sequencing uh, in field on the road uh, in the van. And that's that's only possible with uh, yeah, Oxford really Nanopore. Cool. That's really cool. And so here in both cases, it's about how to, to manage an outbreak or to better contain in the end. Yeah. The, the so it's all about, yeah, I think um, when you say when you talk about sequencing most people still in their mindset so they are thinking big machine in a lab and what you can do uh, in the lab Uh, so all these things are now coming up uh, and people are finding their own ways to do it and uh, because of the accessibility portability uh, and easy to use Um, also the time of sequencing yeah time of sequencing and also we have some really nice cool features there's something called uh, read until so which means you don't have to uh, do the entire experiment so you can set your targets uh, at the beginning and you can say like uh, when it hits this many uh, this number like say if you get it uh, up to 80 percent and then you can uh, mm-hmm. stop sequencing and sometimes say for example if you want to identify a pathogen a bacteria in a sample um, and within minutes you can actually identify the pathogen then you don't have to run the whole experiment afterwards so you can stop it so which we call read until so we have some really cool features like that right would another application for that being diagnostics where you need to have a really really quick readout on that yeah yeah so imagine a situation like um, when a child is um, uh, in an operation and if you take a uh, sample out 
um, and you can quickly um, do the sequencing to figure out what's wrong before uh, or do, during the operation. Yeah, I mean that's you can do that, right? If you, uh, I mean, those are the applications that people will use it for, mm. um, and those are possibilities because of the uh, features of our system, the portability, easy to use, um, and quick results to answer real-time data analysis. So I, I, I want to move in a bit in the um, to talk a bit more about the um, about the business. Can, can you maybe? Tell us a bit about your experience early on in the business. So, so you obviously been there for quite a while. Um, what sort of what are some of the key experiences that stand out to you? What has been some of the the challenges, and how have you seen the company develop and yourself develop in the role you've been having during these ten years? Well, um, when I joined Oxford Nanopo, I was the the first vet scientist to join. I think I was employee number seven or something. Um, so by then, as I said, we didn't even have a lab. So my first job was to set up a lab and get instruments and get people, train people and start some um, biological chemistry uh, experiments. So my background was in uh, protein uh, nanopores and uh, protein mm -hmm. engineering. Um, so that's how uh, we started and then slowly developed into uh, bigger roles and then Enzyme came in, then membrane came in, then we bring things together, and um, it uh, then it, it developed into this uh, really cool uh, cool product. So some of the challenges is actually so as I said, I think um, uh, individual groups build these um, or develop their individual um, feature like or the pore or the enzyme or the membrane or the software or the engineering teams do the, the, the machines. So um, we individually build all these devices or the, uh, the proteins and then at some point they all need to come together and they need to be compatible uh, with each other. So I think that's the biggest, um, I would say, challenge, the, the integration. Yeah, so the, the integration the and to make sure that uh, they work with each other, um, each other's development um, is, is, is quite key and uh, if not then you have to go back and uh, redesign a lot of things um, and also from very early on um, I think we made a conscious decision to make it uh, very easy to change components uh, for example in our system if you want to change uh, chemistry if you want to change pore you can just simply take the pore and put the new pore um, so you don't have to redesign the whole whole system. Um, same with the enzyme. If you want to change the enzyme, you can just right. change the enzyme so straight it, away. It, it, it's a completely modular solution. It is very modular system, and uh, so we we uh, spend quite a lot of uh, time to make sure that uh, it stays in the modular system rather than they are bolting together. Um, that uh, everything is depending on the other component. Um, so I think those decisions that we took very early on are key to the success of uh, ONT products because now we can uh, change things quite rapidly and it's very uh, flexible, uh, very uh, easy to use system. Right, and and so your role, you've been staying mostly on the scientific side. Have you been, been moving increasingly to more managerial role? I am at the moment, it's actually, um, so I'm head of Nanopore research team. Um, so I am actually, I, I don't work in the lab anymore uh, for well for a long time now. Um, I am uh, more managerial, uh, but still uh, I'm heavily involved with the scientific decisions and what I 
what the, the nanopore group does or what the whole company does in terms of improving chemistry, the accuracy, the right, throughput, right. and so on. And have you experienced any challenges moving from an academic background into a business setting? How, how has the transition been? Has it been natural? Has there been step functions on the way? It is sort of like natural because uh, I think when you come from um, academia to a bigger company, probably it's, I think, more challenging. And for me, uh, because um, the transition is very slow, because when I joined the company, it was a very, very small company. And so all we did was like just try to make something working which is almost like what we did in uh, uh, in academia so you have to change your mindset a little bit because targets are there uh, budgets are there and um, if things don't work you change the project very quickly whereas in academia you mm -hmm. do end-to-end -end, uh, projects right uh, so in industry um, you don't do the whole thing so you are responsible for one part and you need to deliver that part and if that doesn't work, then, uh, well, if the whole thing doesn't work, you change the project. Um, and you need to be able to um, have that mindset uh, change um, to be able to be more agile. Right. And, and say a PhD student is considering a similar move entering into a early stage biotech or life science business setting. What would be one piece of advice you'd give them for the journey? I think it's... Um, well, you need to be able to adapt quickly, uh, depending on the, uh, well, biotech, if it is a startup, actually it's like much easier than, uh, than a grown-up uh, biotech company. Um, I think what, well, if you are uh, joining a company from uh, after your PhD or a postdoc, you need to be able to change your um, uh, mindset from academia to industry. As I said, in industries, working culture is different. It's more cooperation, collaboration, rather than doing your own thing and own project. Uh, so you need to be able to uh, speak with other people, talk to people, uh, get things done as a group rather than um, uh, an individual. Um, so I think that's the difficult thing for uh, most of the people initially, but I think people get used to it quite uh, quite well. So if you are agile and if you are adaptable, and I think um, it's not a problem at all. Okay, so, so what I'm hearing from you is you're saying a lot of the skill sets that you have as a PhD is transferable to the startup setting, that, that you can use a lot of the same skills there. You just need to be creative with the way you adapt them. Yeah, so I think, uh, so when we actually recruit people, we do recruit uh, quite a lot of PhDs in our case, but we also recruit uh, non-PhD um, uh, students for different, different roles. Um, with PhDs and what they have is uh, they are able to manage their own projects, right? Within PhD, you are trained to do that, which is quite a useful skill, and that skill is transferable with, uh, with well, when we recruit PhDs, like we are looking for the technical skills, obviously. So with that technical skills, if you can couple that with your ability to um, manage projects, um, I think you can do well, yeah. All right, and, and to, to end up, I, I wanted to talk just briefly about what would be the, the broader societal impacts of the work that you're doing in um, Oxford Nanopore, thinking some of the years ahead, what's what's next for the company, and what are the 
the broad implications. Um, and may maybe you can draw in this phrase of her to use the Internet of Living Things, which I like quite a lot. Yeah, so I see you actually like, I think one of the quotes from uh, um, uh, Gordon, um, our CEO, he keeps saying, well, he used to say that um, uh, <clears throat> ONT will be the next Facebook. Um, and uh, so Internet of Living Things is actually to enable that you have to have a product like uh, Minna and, uh, available in everybody's, every doctor's um, um, office or um, in every hospital, um, in every operation theater. Um, to be able to do something like that, like when you are ill, if you are sneezing, you can take your own um, saliva um, and check whether you have bacterial infection or viral infection and um, to go to the doctor and say, I have this, I have that, and then uh, quickly get the antibiotics that suitable for your um, infection. I think it's quite, quite powerful thing and that can change the world, that can say, for example, NHS with the last uh, flu season, they uh, ask people to not to come to the hospital unless uh, you're absolutely sure um, that you have to come to the hospital because they are overwhelmed with the uh, number of patients, right? And they advise people to take this um, pharmacy test before come to the um, come to the hospital. So imagine a situation that uh, you can just pin your finger and uh, put a blood dot or um, take a little bit of your saliva and uh, detect your own things. And also, as I said, like this, you were. Uh, microbiome in the body like um, yeah. nobody is really checking these things anymore and we all I mean check your heart rate and how many steps you've taken in each day and uh, we manage uh, our health try to manage our health by uh, using the technology but there's no technology yet to um, monitor your um, microbiome uh, right. which so, 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 so really it's the combination of the portability and the accessibility that's growing with the real-time sequencing that will allow people to generate biological data on themselves in the same way as they have, say, a digital yeah. identity today. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, at the moment, a lot of people are using uh, nanopore uh, sequencing machines uh, in education uh, as an education tool as well, not only in universities, but in uh, schools, in uh, everywhere. And it's quite uh, quite cool thing to see that kids mm -hmm. are talking about uh, nanopore sequencing and, uh, oh, you can do this now at home. Um, I mean, I interviewed actually like last year, there was this girl uh, who told me that uh, she wanted uh, Minna as a Christmas present and she asked her mother to buy that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and uh, when I was in a conference last year, um, uh, there was a guy, his uh, father um, is a doctor and actually like uh, he had the Minna um, at home uh, and he said like I wanted to see what I can do. I mean, it's only like thousand dollars. You can buy it. Uh, people, if you can afford it, and uh, it's then you can explore the world, right? You can explore not only your uh, your biology, but uh, whatever you want to do, like a soil sample, water sample, um, air, whatever, what, what what's in my pot, uh, basically. And so both with the biology and also in terms of the medical data, it's becoming democratized in in a really substantial way. You can imagine how this is putting the patients in the center of the medical system in a different way than it has been done, which obviously raises some data privacy issues, um, but might also be something very valuable if you look at the way that the health systems globally are constrained in terms of costs. 
Yeah, so I think the uh, I can change the world. Uh, nano co sequencing can change the world, and basically our motto is like uh, sequence anything, anywhere by anyone. I think um, epitome of that is obviously, I mean, uh, it's now been sequenced. Um, well, it's taken to International Space Station, it's taken to the uh, bottom of the sea labs, and it's being sequenced everywhere in the field, in the labs, in space and under the sea. So I think uh, that speaks for itself. Thanks. Cheers. You've been listening to SIU Live from the Science Innovation Union. For more information on what we're doing, more content, go to science-union.org. You can go to Apple Podcast and subscribe to SIU Live to get the newest episode whenever it comes out. Or go to our Twitter page at SIU Live to ask questions for coming speakers or even suggest speakers. I'm your host Emil Fristel and this week's episode was edited by Philippe Dimitrev. Thank you.